Our Old Testament lesson comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, hear now the word of our God. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God, 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Yekiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. This is the word of the Lord. We we are coming today to to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, you may have wondered, sort of, when you read through the Matthew's Gospel, you come to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, and you generally don't find that conclusion in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer was almost certainly not uh, part of the prayer that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not found in any Greek manuscript of the New Testament prior to the 5th century. 
And uh, the Lord's Prayer is widely quoted by the early fathers, but only after the fourth century does it include the conclusion that we now know so well. In fact, you find some of the early fathers quoting this conclusion before you have any manuscript evidence for it in the New Testament. So that may give us a clue as to what happened. If you think about it, if the Lord's Prayer ends with uh, and deliver us from evil, or, that's an awkward way to end a prayer. So probably what happened was somewhere in the fourth century, somebody had, had a good idea. It was a good idea. And they said, hey, you know, there's this great line in David's prayer in First Chronicles 29, which fits beautifully at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's put this David's prayer at the end of Jesus' prayer because it still is the Lord's prayer. And then this caught on and in the 5th century a lot of churches were using the First Chronicles 29 ending to the Lord's prayer. And so probably what happened was some copyist was copying Matthew's gospel and he had, he had grown up praying the Lord's prayer with, with David's ending. And so he's like, oh, my manuscript of Matthew's gospel is missing the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. I should make sure I put it back in. This sort of thing happens pretty often in manuscript copying as things like this happen. And so that's where, and so for a long time, it became part of the, the textual tradition. And I'm, I'm glad that your Bibles generally leave out the, the conclusion in Matthew's gospel because it doesn't come from Matthew's gospel. But I'm also really glad that we keep praying it in our prayer because it is the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. It's, the Lord's Prayer is, is not just the words that Jesus used. It's the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught us. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, he's teaching us precisely what David had prayed in First Chronicles 29. I mean, if you think about what's happening in chapter 29 here, David... David had wanted to build the temple himself. But God had said, no, it'll be your son Solomon who will build the temple because God has built David's house. David doesn't get to build God's house. And so now as the people are bringing their free will offerings to the Lord, David is praying that God would now do what he's promised. So it's not only a kingdom prayer. It is also a, a prayer for his son that his, that his son would would reign wisely, that grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep all your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Because it's in this context that David's praying, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Why should God hear David's prayer? Why should God do for David what, what David wants? Because of who God is and what God has promised. Because the kingdom belongs to God. Because power belongs to God. Because glory belongs to God. That's why God should do what he has promised to David. So please, do what you have promised. So what does it mean to pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus it teaches a lot about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. 
But his teaching on prayer is woven in between his teaching on how we are to live. So I'm, I'm going to be reading a section of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount that doesn't often get read together. We oftentimes break it up into little bits and pieces. So we're going to start with verse 19 of chapter 6 and go through verse 14 of chapter 7. And so, but just to sort of lay the, the ground for you, we'll start with the, with the question of where your treasure is and, and Jesus' warning that you can't serve two masters. Then we'll hear his admonition not to be anxious because if you're seeking first his kingdom, then what should you be anxious about? And then Jesus says, judge not that you may not be judged. And instead, Jesus says that if we ask, it will be given. And then Jesus says something curious. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus seems to think that how you treat others is intimately connected to your prayer life. So let's hear what Jesus is saying, because this is right, comes right after his teaching on the Lord's Prayer itself. Now, chapter 6, verse 19, hear now the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that juxtaposition between the, the golden rule and ask and it shall be given you? The golden rule begins with a so, verse 12 there in chapter 7. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus seems to think that what he's saying follows from what he just said. That's why the so is there. But what did he just say? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is drawing our prayer life and our daily life very close together. What are you praying for? Well, are you doing it yourself? If you pray for the sick, but you don't actually reach out to care for the sick, then what's your daily life saying about your prayer life? If you pray for contentment in your relationships, but you're not seeking first the kingdom of God in your relationships, then don't be surprised when you don't find contentment in your relationships. If you pray that God would change your spouse to become more loving, but you don't become more loving, then you're actually working against the very thing that you're praying for. Jesus says that everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I'm, I'm not sure I, I've kept track in terms of which, which verse in the Bible was the one that people have come to me the most and asked questions about. But this ranks up there pretty high. Pastor, I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking, and nothing seems to be happening. What is it that you're seeking? I want to get married. Marriage is a good thing, right? Yes. But Jesus has just told us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, it means that our whole heart and soul and body are devoted to loving the Lord our God, to pursuing the kingdom of Jesus and living it out and that his kingdom would be exemplified in our midst. And, and the coming of Christ's kingdom includes everything you do. There is not a single square inch of your life over which Jesus does not say, this is mine. So it's, it's not as though, oh, seeking the kingdom means those religious things I do. And then there's the rest of my life. Jesus has none of that. He's like, no, no, no. I, I don't just want part of you. I want all of everything you do is part of what my kingdom is all about. So when we do the will of God, we are advancing his kingdom. 
So for instance, if you want to get married, well, start by focusing on doing the will of God as a single person. Be the sort of person who would make a good spouse. How do you do that? Because it's one of those catch-22s where if you're aiming at the thing you really want and, and you're trying to use God to sort of get you where you really want, do you really think God doesn't notice that you're doing that? So no, you can't, you can't start by saying, well, this is what I really want, so I'm going to try to get God to make it. It doesn't work that way. But as you grow in holiness, as you pursue knowing God, you become less and less preoccupied with yourself and more and more preoccupied with pursuing Christ's kingdom, which results in you becoming the sort of person that is a, whether, and this is where, this is equally true for those of you who are already married, because my hunch is if you're already married, you're, you're thinking often, my marriage isn't what I want it to be. Well, it's the same principle at work there. Because it's, it's, as, it's, it's not that, oh, if, if, if I, get, I, I, want, I want to try to sort of change this person, or even I want to get what, no, I get, no, no, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live the way that he calls me to live because I love him. And then one of the byproducts of that is that our relationships really improve when we do that. Because if we're seeking him, then we're seeking him in how we relate to all these people, in how we go about our daily work, in the way in which we pursue job opportunities. In the, I mean, it's, again, everything. So when you pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, you are praying that, you're basically saying to God, God, this is about what you're doing more than about what I'm doing. It's what David had prayed back in First Chronicles 29, that God would do this for Solomon because God had promised. In the Lord's Prayer, our Lord, our Lord Jesus has taught us how to pray as citizens of his kingdom. We've, we've looked at the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why do you pray that God's name would be treated as holy? Why do you pray that the kingdom of God would come? Why do you pray for your daily, bre your daily bread? Why do you pray for the forgiveness of your sins? And this is where that anonymous 4th century Christian who thought, you know what? David's prayer in 1 Chronicles 29, that, that line fits beautifully here. Whoever that was, was absolutely right. It's because the kingdom of God, well, the kingdom belongs to God. It's because Power belongs to God. It's because glory belongs to God. His kingdom, his power, his glory. This is the reason why he will answer our prayers. Notice that it's not just thine is the kingdom. It's for thine is the kingdom. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This is why God should answer our prayers. Because his kingdom, his power, his glory are at stake. The reason why God should answer your prayers is not because of how great you are. 
The reason why God should answer your prayers is because of who he is, which also means that we need to orient our whole lives around him. So it's, it's not that he will hear you because of who you are and what you've done. That, that's, that's entirely backwards. The whole point is that God's kingdom is at the center. His kingdom is the reason why God grants what you ask. Our larger catechism puts it this way, and I've put this in your bulletin because it's a useful guide. What does the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, teaches us to enforce our petitions with arguments. Think I've ever thought about that. You're arguing with God. You're presenting arguments with God as to why he should do this. But these arguments are not taken from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God. And with our prayers, we join praises, ascribing to God alone eternal sovereignty, omnipotency, and glorious excellency in regard whereof, as he is able and willing to help us, so we by faith are emboldened to plead with him that he would, and quietly to rely upon him that he will fulfill our requests. And to testify this, our desire and assurance, we say amen. Why should God listen to you? Why should he do what you ask? I've, I've heard some prosperity preachers answer, because you're the child of the king. And they're absolutely right. Jesus just said that God gives good gifts to his children. But this is why Jesus teaches us how to pray and how to live in the same sermon. Because the kingdom belongs to him. The power belongs to him. The glory belongs to him. And this is where very often the prosperity preachers wind up confusing what I want with what God wants. With living a kingdom-centered life, the question really is, whose kingdom? But, but don't just take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. As Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus says how to live in chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Did you hear that? Jesus is preaching a prosperity gospel. But it's not earthly prosperity that is his focus. It's a heavenly prosperity. Because this is where there's, there's not a single movement in the history of the Christian church, I think I can say that, that, that doesn't have some kernel of truth at the heart. After all, if it wasn't, nobody would listen to them. So when the prosperity preachers say that, oh, see, Jesus wants you to prosper, that's absolutely true. But where is your treasure? Because if your treasure is on earthly things, if that's where your heart is, then that's not going the right direction. Because Jesus points out, earthly things, well, moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But tr heavenly treasures cannot be broken in and stolen. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So where is your treasure? Where is your heart? What is it that you want? Well, you can find out a lot about what you want by listening to yourself pray. Both in terms of what you do pray for and what you don't pray for. Because there are, there are some things that you want, but you don't pray for. Why is that? 
maybe in, in some cases you know that they're wrong. I want it, but I shouldn't want it, so I won't pray for it. I won't ask God for it, but I, I still want it. If that's the case, then repent. Turn away from that thing. It's an, an earthly treasure that will not and cannot last. Indeed, that's kind of the point Jesus makes in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If your eyes are focused on the wrong things, then your whole body will be filled with darkness. You'll be pulled in contrary directions. And that's where Jesus says, but you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Whose kingdom are you devoted to? And remember, God's kingdom includes everything. But who is your master? What is your master? What controls you? Haley said it nicely in Sunday school that you can't hug both God and your idols. If you're praying that God will do something, but you are actively pursuing your idols, God may very well say, oh, okay, I'll give you what you want. I've seen it happen in my life and the lives of others where God will say, oh, you want that? It's not good for you. But I'm going to let you see where that road leads. And the reason why God does that is because very often we need to recognize the problem. And sometimes we don't see it unless God actually lets us go where we think we want to go. Which is a good reason to be asking yourself the question, what is it that controls me? Where, what is the way, what is mastering me? And you might wonder, I, I'm not sure how to get at that. So Jesus gives you lots of different paths to pursue. For instance, verse 25, what are you anxious about? We often feel anxious about things that are outside of our control. It's part of the reason why Jesus teaches us to pray the kingdom-centered prayer because if we controlled everything, we probably wouldn't feel very anxious. If you were in control of everything, if everything in your life was under your control, you wouldn't be anxious about anything. I know. So you're like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But, I mean, newsflash, you're not God. He's God. You're not. We, we will never be in control of everything. It's why we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because we realize that kingdom and power and glory belong to God, not to us. But what do you get anxious about? Are you anxious about food? Now, in our part of the world, it may not be whether you have enough to eat. It may have more to do with what you will eat, whether it's issues with gluten or dairy or other foods, dietary problems are real problems. And part of the problem is that we have very little control over what we eat. We depend on grocery stores and all the corporations in between us and the farmer. And So, yeah, we get anxious about food and what's in our food and is this hurting me, is this helping me? Jesus says, don't 
be anxious about what you will eat. And, and don't be anxious about clothing. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says the, the birds of the air are fed by your heavenly Father. And yet, you are more of more value than they. Do you trust God? Of course, Pastor, I, I trust God. Then why are you anxious? Jesus isn't saying that celiacs need to eat gluten. He's saying that celiacs need to trust him while they stay away from gluten. <laughs> and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I don't know if there are any Pride and Prejudice fans out there, but we, we, we listened to it on our West, Western trip this year, and the insufferable mother who cannot stop babbling about her daughters and their marriage prospects, I mean, she's just torn up with anxiety about what's going to happen to her family. Now, which of you, by being anxious, can help your child find a spouse? <laughs> Not going to work. Can't do that. And... Why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, again, do you believe that God will provide for you? And I, one thing I have to say is that it's entirely possible that God may want something for you that you don't want. You may recall Job's line in Job 13, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Job, what Job got was nothing like what he wanted. His kids all died. His, his, his health was taken away. His wealth was taken away. He, got, he had nothing left. And yet, even in the midst of his anguish, and all you have to do is read Job 3, and his anguish is real. Even in the midst of his misery, and read the rest of Job, his misery is on full display. Yet, God says at the end of the book that Job has spoken rightly about him. So if you want to know, how, how do I give voice to my anguish and frustration in the midst of distress? Read Job, because God himself says that Job's words are holy words that are spoken rightly about God. And you'll find some really shocking words that you're like, wait, I can say that to God? And God says, yes, you can say that to me. Because your heavenly father knows what you need. And he will provide. And that's why, that's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. You need food. You need clothing. You need the basics of life. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. And he will provide. And the problem is, too often, we're not seeking first his kingdom. And... If we're turning away from the living God and serving other masters, notice the implication. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what happens if I don't seek first the kingdom of God? What happens if I serve other masters? Well, then there is no promise that all these things will be added to you because you're running the wrong direction. If, if we say, oh God, I'm seeking first your kingdom, but you haven't given me what I really want. Well, then that sure sounds like what I'm really seeking is what I want. And I'm just trying to use God, use religion to get what I really want. 
but God will not be mocked. Now, also let me say, seeking first the kingdom of God is not an impossible task. Now, it's true, we're not very good at it. There's a difference between the two. The task itself is not particularly different, uh, difficult. Seeking first the kingdom of God simply means to be more concerned with the coming of Christ's kingdom than you are with fulfilling your own agenda. It's, and this is where what Jesus calls us to do is, is in one sense profoundly simple. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. No, no. Don't confuse simple and easy. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. Not complicated. Difference. Easy would... <laughs> no, it's not easy. Because it grates against our natural bent to be self-centered. But this is why he has given us his spirit. This is why, this is why that line from David's prayer fits in so beautifully. Why should God do all these things? Because of his kingdom. Because his is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. And therefore, because of what he has now done in Jesus, the greater than, one greater than Solomon, now, because of what he's done in Jesus, you have been united to the life of Christ by his Holy Spirit that you might no longer be slaves to sin and death. And... This is, Jesus applies this in chapter 7 to uh, judging not. Because if you're, if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you will judge others in the way that you want God to judge you. And when, when you I mean, this, is, this is something that I, w- I think we would all benefit greatly from sort of reflecting on that. If, if, if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God, then... How do you want God to judge you? How do you want God to sort of render his verdict with you? Would you like to use the way you judge others as the standard? Because God says that's what he's going to do. It's like, ooh, that sounds troublesome. So, but that's why if kingdom and power and glory belong to God, then I need to tune my judgment to what God says. And then you have this picture in verses 3 to 5 about somebody with, a, with a, this plank or a log in his own eye trying to remove a speck from somebody. I mean, if you've got a log in your eye, you know, trying to re- reach to get a speck, you can't see clearly. Come on. If your judgment is distorted, then you can't help others deal with their problems. But also, Jesus says, use wisdom. You know, don't give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It's in the context of how do you judge. You need wisdom to know how to answer each one. There are some people who just don't deserve an answer. But that's where Jesus urges us to go to God. And he says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And I know Some of you are very seriously asking, but I'm asking for good things and God hasn't given it yet. Well, what is, I mean, what is master? Has your desire for this thing mastered you? Because you can't serve two masters. Because if if your desire for that thing has become your master, then don't be surprised when God says, 
but it really wouldn't be good for me to give this to you right now. But then, okay, so I get straightened out a little bit, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeking first his kingdom, at least mostly. Well, are, are, you, are you anxious about it? Well, more than I should be. You see, God's purpose in your life God's purpose in this life. This is not just something future and glory someday, but his purpose in this life is to conform you to the likeness of his beloved son. And so he tells you in chapter 7, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That may seem odd in the immediate response to asking, knocking, seeking. But your heavenly father gives good gifts to those who ask him. And Jesus seems to think that how you live really matters. You need to practice what you pray. It's not just practice what you preach, but practice what you pray. If you pray, thy kingdom come, well then live by the power of that kingdom now. You pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well then let's do God's will in in doing to others what we would have them to do to, you, do to you. Because this is why Jesus, this is why Jesus says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And how many times have we walked down that path? I mean, something that I find regularly, that when I walk contrary to the way God says, it, does, it doesn't end well. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Why is the way narrow, gate narrow? Why is the way hard? Because we don't want to go that way. And yet it's the way that God made us. So it actually winds up being such a good way when we walk in it. But when we forget, when we serve other masters, when we start getting anxious about all these things, we forget that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God. But when we, when we see Jesus, when we see what he has done in his cross, when we see what he has done in his resurrection, when we, have, when we see what he has done in uniting us to himself, then we come to God with our prayers and our petitions and we say, God, the reason why you should do this is not because I've been seeking your kingdom. I'm not anxious anymore. No, 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 no. That's, that's not the way it works. You should do this because yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And what I want is your kingdom. What I want is your power. What I want is your glory. In this situation in my home, in this situation in my work, in this situation in every part of life, so let's pray. Oh Lord our God, have mercy on us. Help us to see Jesus and to not be anxious about all these things, but to trust that, that when we seek first your kingdom, when we seek first your righteousness, when we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, then all these things will be taken care of. And that we, as we seek to put into practice the things that, that your son has taught us, as we seek to live the way that Jesus has shown us, help us to, to not worry about what's going to come out of it, but rather help us to rejoice that Jesus is sitting at your right hand and that you have seated us in him, in the heavenly places, that we already have 
that heavenly treasure. So help us to live as those who belong to Jesus, as those whose, whose wealth and whose might and whose power are found in him who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.